everyone. Welcome to episode 238 of Milwaukee's Tailgate on the MKE Tailgate uh, Network. I am James, joined by Ryan and Paul tonight here. We're doing this on Sunday night. Uh, waiting anxiously for Freddie Peralta's MRI results uh, coming on Monday. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But first of all, how are your guys' weekends? If anybody sees um, a stuffed gray bunny laying around, let me know. Because I just <laughs> the last hour looking for one and uh i don't know where it could be in my house so we'll we'll see speaking of uh bunnies we have a family of baby bunnies running around our backyard right now and uh the neighbor dog did try to kill one when we were having our kentucky derby day party but that didn't actually happen they're they're doing fine and uh our cats are actually getting along with them just fine when they go out in the backyard and take a look so we've been watching the baby bunnies growing up day by day they uh they grow quickly at that age. Well, there you go, Paul. Is is that good enough for your for your kid or no? Mm, I don't think so, unfortunately. <laughs> every every time we do this, it's like a Sunday night bedtime issue. It, yep. It's the worst. Kids are the it worst. Is yeah, just awful. Yeah. In other news, Liverpool did not win the league, so I'm very sad about that. But uh, it was it was a good run, and they still have a chance to win three out of the four trophies next weekend and win the European nice. Championship. So, oh, um, who got relegated? That's all I care about. Uh, Burnley went down today, so okay. Leeds stayed up. All right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah it it was a uh, it was a wild wild uh, morning of games where uh, City actually went down two nil off the uh with through the course of that game and then ended up scoring three goals in about seven eight minutes and came back took the lead and that was it so oh well yeah ripped ryan's heart out early and then freddie left early and it's been a bad day for ryan (laughs) yeah i was watching that on the couch at home like half awake half asleep and i'm like oh freddie seems to be not good walking off the mound this is bad and then saw the stuff later so not great all of it's bad everything's bad everything's bad so uh yeah we'll we'll get to that plenty of questions about what lies ahead especially as the brewers start off a a stretch here where they play basically every day for (laughs) three weeks straight or something like that so uh, it's not great uh not a good time any time for that but especially bad now but we'll get to that in a moment but uh plenty of questions about the Brewers this week uh, to answer and a reminder that you can become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate and two bucks a month gets you question priority here. A guarantee that we'll talk about the topic that you bring up there uh, also gets you the question priority on the Packers podcast as well. Five bucks a month. You get that uh, question priority plus some extra subscriber exclusive podcast that includes the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson from Roto wire. Uh, so if you still haven't listened to, to the episode they did a couple of weeks ago, uh, a good good listen there. And, uh, you know, there was some foreshadowing there with a, a, a certain pitcher that Ryan's had his eye on that James said might get the call to double A. And lo and behold, like three days after that went up, he got the call to double A. So sure did. Sure that, did. That's the kind of stuff that you get ahead of time there with the minor league extra. So definitely worth that $5 mm-hmm. a month for sure. Yeah. TJ right. Shook is the guy you're talking about there. And we actually exactly. had he uh he had some information about what his stuff was and it was better than i would kind of was expecting it was it it exceeded my expectations and went more into the that's what i was hoping for range 
Exactly. So uh, definitely some good insight there as well. All right. As we mentioned, the Brewers, uh, I guess, outside of Sunday, had a, had a pretty solid week. They took two out of three games from the Braves. So they even their their six game regular season series there. Uh, they also ended up taking two out of three from the Nationals, really dominating the first couple of games of that series before Craig pretty much punted Sunday before the next oh, marathon yeah. road trip. Uh, so, again, as, as we kind of talked about last week, that this road trip, they've got 11 games in 10 days, including a doubleheader in Chicago there. Uh, so uh, definitely uh, some some need to rest some guys. And Craig took full advantage of that on Sunday. Uh, but really, aside from the on-field result, which got ugly, uh, was, of course, as we talked about, Freddie Peralta having to leave early with some shoulder tightness. Did not look very good at all ahead of that. So uh, that's that's pretty worrisome. Uh, talking after the game, he said he, he feels it more in his shoulder. Um, hopefully not a, a torn labrum situation, but there's an MRI on Monday that we're going to have to wait for the results for. So as we record this, we don't really know. But all we really do know is that he's going on the IL. Uh, so he will miss at least a, a start or two here as we head into this road trip. But uh, shoulder things, Ryan, never good to hear, especially with young pitchers. No, shoulders always bad. Much prefer elbow issues because even if a guy is going to miss a considerable amount of time, the the ultimate success rate on Tommy John surgery is pretty good. So yeah. aside from your occasional thoracic outlet syndrome issue in the elbow, and that usually kind of comes with the Tommy John surgery more often than not, uh, you, you much prefer elbows to shoulders. So this is bad. It is worrisome. And I, I really particularly worrisome because – if you saw the video that Bally Sports Wisconsin posted of Freddie talking after the game, I I tweeted it out too. Uh, he does not look like a guy expecting good news. So I'm sort of at this point thinking he is going to be done for quite a while. It, probably the season would be my, this my guess. Is, this is, of course, our fault for the title of last week's episode. Um, which was, of course, bad Jimmy vibes. Bad Jimmy um, vibes all over this. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, we did create this. So sorry about that. Um, apologies to everybody for costing us Freddie for the season. Didn't mean to. Just. But uh, we are you know. going to take credit for Jr. calling that home run by Keston Hira on <laughs> Wednesday. I'm absolutely 100% steadfast. That is ours because Jr. is on the. Um, the reporting is eligible podcast. So part of the family. Yeah. Part we'll of the family. It. So we do get to take part credit for that. Family. Yep. I agree. That's, that's us, not us, but us. Yeah. So yeah, you just, the shoulder things are very worrisome. They, they tend to be in much larger problems and it's a much more complicated joint than the elbow. The elbow just does, you know, kind of the one thing and the, uh, the shoulder does lots and lots of things. Yep. And so, there's just a lot more that can go wrong there. And we've seen in recent years, I was, my wife was asking me about this today. And I, I said, I think from what I can tell and having, I think they talked about this in the arm that we've sort of by, by teaching guys how to do uh, various exercises and things, pitchers have strengthened their shoulders and we see fewer shoulder issues than we used to with pitchers. We see more elbow issues. And I don't know if that's all a mechanical thing or a, an exercise thing or whatever, but it is good that it's an that elbows are the more common thing now because, like I said, it's a simpler joint to deal with. Yeah. And when you're fixing UCL, that's a lot more fixable than, say, a torn labrum. 
I also feel like it's even more rare than it probably is statistically because I feel like a lot of shoulder issues are contusions um, along the lines of what Jimmy Nelson suffered. I think it's usually you, you hit a wall or you you know jam it somehow. Um, it, it's a trauma injury, not a work injury. So I think if this is what we fear it, it is, it's actually pretty, not unique, but it's really pretty rare in this day and age. Yeah. So... We just have to cross our fingers and hope that they uh, made the best of it. There was some kind of concerning stuff you heard about the fact that he was feeling something before the he asked to get pulled. But mm-hmm. as my wife pointed out to me when I started to whine about that, uh, she's like, well, but you hurt all the time when you're doing athletic stuff. Like, that's just part of the yeah. deal. And you have to you know, try to figure out, well, is this really serious or is this just normal pain and discomfort that you get when you're, you know, out there doing things. So, yeah, we probably shouldn't get on him or the Brewers training staff for this. They have a really, really good record, especially as far as pitcher health goes. So we can't get mad about that sort of thing. It's been a long time since we've had any sort of serious arm issue to one of the major contributors in the bullpen. Like really, you have to go back, or in the in the pitching staff, you really yeah. Brett Suter's uh, Tommy John, right? I think that's the most recent one I could think of. Yeah, yeah. Although uh, in, in the in the non wall punching category, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, that doesn't count. That's a that's a traumatic injury from not having anything to do on the field. So that's yep. not yes. like that's not yep. anything that the team can have any sort of control over. Yeah, I would also say not to get ahead of ourselves, but. Um, maybe Jay Cousins ends up being that as well. So true. That's, that's though he hadn't really there. moved into like the core group yet. He was getting there, but he hadn't quite like moved into the into that group of players yet. Because there have been other guys who've had injuries. It's just that they haven't been to the most valuable sort of stable of guys that the Brewers work with. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think. The worry with Freddie too is he he was always kind of the the little guy, right? So you know there's mm-hmm. already just concerns about durability when you're a, a small pitcher. Uh, he he doesn't throw hard to begin with, so when you're starting to mess with the shoulder, that becomes a little bit scary too in terms of maybe one day getting the velocity back. So I I don't know, Paul. Are you worried about long term outlook now after this? I always am with shoulder, um, and. Yeah, it does matter if you're starting from a higher, um, like a higher floor, you, you can probably withstand things a little bit better. Um, so that is true of Freddie, but um, any shoulder injury of any significance is career threatening just as a rule. So, um, and, and like we've seen Jimmy Nelson come back, um, it took forever and he's not nearly as effective as he once was. Um, but uh, so it's possible, but that's kind of, I think, if you have the actual serious shoulder injury kind of what you're looking at you're you're looking at a guy who's out for a long time and is a diminished pitcher when he comes back and it's just never going to be the same so um i hope we get good news i hope it's something that's rehabable or something that's a minor shoulder injury though don't know too many of those um Mm -hmm. but uh uh it's it's uh right now it's it is a serious situation until we know more yeah and i think we can go back to his decision to sign that contract this is why guys sign contracts like that, even I was though bring that up next. Yeah, oh, were you? Okay, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but yeah, I mean, this is why guys do that, because you have to go so deep into your career before you start making serious money. And he was still a pretty decent ways away from that. 
and was still a pretty decent ways away from having a breakout when he decided to sign that contract and becoming the the Freddie Peralta starter that we've come to love over the last yep. you know basically season plus here, and now it looks like that was a probably a really smart thing because he's going to guarantee himself at least uh, 14 15 million dollars yeah. made in his you got, career you got life-changing money and if you know you have a serious injury then that's when that bet pays off yeah and it sucks but it it is part of the deal and this is why for an individual player the uh the for the player they have one career they have one life they have one career one chance to make this money Whereas the team can say, well, we're going to spread this risk around and we're going to we can take this risk on him and say, well, if if the worst comes out of this, then, oh, well, we didn't really lose that much here. And he's happy. They're happy. It just, you know, for a while, it looked like it was really headed the other direction where it was going to be one of the best, you know, more team friendly contracts going. And now that's all up in the air. So we will just have to wait and see. Yeah, it, this is the waiting part that really sucks. <laughs> and, you know, by the time a lot of people listen to this, maybe we find out it's not as uh, worrisome as as we're kind of fearing now. Uh, fingers crossed for sure. But uh, I guess in the meantime, then, the, the question becomes, who do you replace him with in the rotation, right? Uh, so we already knew that Ashby was going to get a start this week. Uh, just because of the the really long road trip, no days off, so that's when they would typically slide him in as that six starter anyway. I guess Ryan, does it make sense if if they're you know off days sprinkled in? Is Ashby just in the full in the rotation full time now going forward? Is that a safe assumption? Yeah, I think that's a very safe assumption, and I think that hopefully he's ready for that. We'll talk more about the his uh, dominance out of the bullpen the last few times out. A little mm-hmm. bit later here, but yeah, I think that's a safe assumption. The question becomes who comes in after him because, you know, with the Brewers playing, what was it you said? It's uh, ten game or eleven games in ten days here. Yep, and and uh, actually, it when you extend to the next part of the homestand, it's eighteen and seventeen. So oh, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, it's absolutely brutal, and it's kind of ridiculous that this is happening. But. Uh, you everybody has to deal with with stretches like this especially in this season where we are still trying to condense some of those games in and everybody's going to have to kind of make some of this stuff up but yeah th- so the question is right away obviously Ethan Small is Ethan Small going to come mm-hmm. up because they're going to mm-hmm. need extra starters here they're they're going to need guys to come in and make starts who are not part of that core 5 group right now you know with yeah. Freddie out and Ethan Small, I did check on this. He had a non-COVID illness that scratched him from his last start at Nashville. Uh, presumably, he will be coming up to the Brewers here to uh, to take some space, uh, to, to try to eat some innings. We'll see how that goes. Uh, there are other possibilities in Nashville. He is currently, let me take a peek here, he's currently fifth on the team in innings pitched. Behind Jason Alexander, no, not that one. Um, <laughs> Caleb Bushley, uh, Josh Lindblom, which Lindblom, oh, oh no, Lindblom, oh no, um, and Dylan File. And I know that uh, uh, Nick Sattel was talking about that on Twitter. The 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 Dylan File experience is about ready to begin. Uh, jokingly, I'm assuming. <laughs> and Dylan File is a guy that they have they gave a 40 man roster spot to uh, a yep. year ago, and so and they've been carrying him on the 40 ever since. You don't do that unless you think the guy's got some potential to 
step in and be a guy. There's nothing in his performance at AAA so far that would make you think he's on the verge of doing that. The strikeout to walk ratio is pretty pedestrian, 1.81, uh, 4.10 ERA. Like, there's nothing particularly outstanding here, but who knows? I, I think they're probably going to have to, over the course of this run here, where they're going to be playing the doubleheader, no off days and all that, they're probably going to need multiple guys other than the five that they have to make starts in here. So I suspect for sure we're going to see Ethan Small. I would say Dylan File maybe after that or uh, Lindblom. I, I <laughs> don't know. Yeah, yeah. Lindblom would have to be added to the 40-man roster again, but the Brewers do have, I think, three spots open right now. So They do um, have three spots open. I so. just saw that. They they do have some options there. Uh, I guess. Well, we this takes us to our first Patreon question, which actually was sent, I believe, on Saturday before mm-hmm. uh, the Freddie stuff, but uh, also just kind of uh, timely here. It comes from PJ Wessels, uh, saying the Washington series was the start of eighteen games in seventeen days, as we mentioned. Is this a chance to give Ethan Small a spot start? We already addressed that. Uh, <laughs> it is now. Yes, seems, seems likely now. Uh, definitely the case, PJ. But the second part here is also, I think, apt and, and worth talking about. He's asking, also, this is the first of two 18 games in 17 day stretches for the Brewers. That sounds unfair, right, Paul? Uh, yeah. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the deal is with the schedule and the Brewers. Um, it almost seems like sometimes they're punished for the Dome um, because I feel like they just get in these situations where they get rained out elsewhere. And when you get rained out elsewhere, you have to travel to make up the game where you're rained out. Whereas if you have a dome on your park, you never get rained out. And so no one ever travels to you in these situations ever. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's not fair. Uh, and I, I don't, we complain about the schedule a lot. I feel like they always have kind of a weird one. And that's probably one of the reasons why. But um, I feel like baseball could be better about this and could have a little bit better cadence of their off days than they do, but scheduling 162 games is hard, so sometimes that happens. But yeah, it's not bad. Well, Rock was talking about this on a broadcast, and this has come up a bunch of times, and this is something that broadcasters especially notice because they're traveling with the team, and it can really get to be a grind when you're doing that. They have three three-city road trips in a row here. And he said not only has he never done that in his time, and he's been doing calling Brewers games since the mid-90s here, uh, not only has he never done that, he's never even heard of it, that this is something that just does not happen. It's completely out of whack with any sort of expectation. So that was you know, this last road trip was three cities. They went to Atlanta, Cincinnati, and then Florida. This road trip, they're going to be going through San Diego, St. Louis, and Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then in the following road trip, uh, Washington, Mets, and Reds. Mm-hmm. And those are broken up by a week at home. And now, granted, if you go look at the September schedule right now, the Brewers basically don't leave Milwaukee, except for <laughs> just a little bit. And the, part of that is because they had to tack on that opening series to the end of the year. So their they're yeah. end of the year, they're like 10 straight games at home. So they're going to get this back on the other end. But these are some really grinder, like, difficult road trips that they're they're being put through here and i don't know it's it's rough this is a a very rough schedule 
is it because the league hates small markets? Yes, of course. Is it because <laughs> is it because the league doesn't like how the Brewers pitching staff that stacks up and how they shuttle guys in and out of AAA? Yes, it is. That's that's the reason why. <laughs> the end of the season's hilarious, by the way. Starting at game one thirty seven, they only have six road games the entire rest of the year. Amazing. That's mm-hmm. insane. Yep, and that is both a uh, a product of the way that the schedule was laid out to begin with, but also with the changes that had to be made to adjust on the fly because of the lockout. So, yeah, I, I think this also brings to light uh, why it's important that the Brewers got off to such a hot start, right? One of the best Aprils in team history. You bank those wins early, you can kind of weather these midseason storms a little bit easier. I think I also heard the Brewers are off to their best 40 game start in history. So there's that as yep, well. That's right. Uh, so, you know, it, it, yeah, things <laughs> not seeming too cheery right now with the Freddie injury and all these long road trips and all these games packed into into this, you know, tight portion of the schedule. But as you guys mentioned, it, it comes around in the end. And uh, hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed, you know, that this kind of buffer kind of just keeps them right there. So if they can keep their heads above water, I think they're in good shape, right? Yep. I was just looking at the Cardinal schedule to just kind of um, buff it, uh, my, my thing about the small market thing. And there's just like perfectly spread out. It's like six on the road, six at home, six on the road, six at home. Um, there's like no extended road trips uh, for them until the very end of the season when they have uh, six straight on the road. But then they finish with six consecutive games against the Pirates. So, yep. like, I hate the Cardinals. Whenever I look at the Cardinals, I just hate them more. And that right <laughs> Oh, they finished with six against the Pirates because that was the game, the That's series the- that got tagged onto the end. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yes. That's crap, so that- though, because they had the choice of two series that they could tack onto the end of the season. So the fact that they gave them Pirates back to back instead of breaking up the Pirates elsewhere like because we have the you know the Diamondbacks getting tacked onto the end, whereas yeah, we have yeah. the Giants broken up throughout the season. Maybe it's a travel thing, but it also just seems stupid. Like you're giving them a six game series against a team that will have been in full quit shutdown mode for a very yep. long time at that point. Yep. Yep. I, now maybe that feels wrapped up before the last week of the season because yeah, and well, and maybe we can hope in that case that maybe the the Pirates have brought up a bunch of young players and they're actually sort of. <laughs> doing things yeah. well at that point maybe. you may have motivated good players actually on the pirates at that point it's probably not the worst thing in the world yeah we can yeah. at least hope for that but yeah, yeah this is this is a stupid schedule and this is this part of it, these three consecutive three city road trips that had yeah. nothing to do with the lockout that was planned before any of this happened yeah. and just the fact that they then decided to toss in that that double header against the cubs in the midst of that like literally in the <laughs> middle of that of that run there's like, a million other cubs games and they chose to do that, do that one for. and i i mm-hmm. understand perfectly well why they they chose to do that and why i'm sure the brewers consented to it which is it's memorial day so the cubs of course they would love to have a a, a double header on memorial day at home ka-ching yeah, yeah i mean it's it's yeah and it's a it's also God, it's a day night double header of course it is because they yeah of course it is yeah uh <sighs> Hey, uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get through this together. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I still think that they should make the Cardinals and Pirates play three doubleheaders to end the year instead of just six games in a row. But hey. I would rule. They know. totally should. 
if, of course, of course. All right, uh, let's talk about some happier things, shall we? Because <laughs> it's been kind of a downer of a 20 minutes here. Uh, so in this last week, we actually saw the one-year anniversary of the Willie Adamas trade. Uh, so a, a good opportunity to kind of look back and, and look at the past, I guess, if you want to call it, full <laughs> year uh, of Willie in Milwaukee. And it's turned out to be one of those deals, as many outlets wrote in the last week, that really benefited both teams greatly. Of course, the Brewers got the shortstop, who's in his first full year, hit 32 home runs as a Brewer, 854 OPS and a 130 OPS plus. Uh, the Rays, on the other hand, got their, uh, you know, Drew Rasmussen and JP Fireisen already solid arms, and then they put them in their pitching development monster machine, and, and they have also uh, done gangbusters for the Rays as, as well. So uh, really fun to kind of look back on that trade this, uh, a year later kind of unusual that you see at least a trade kind of pay off this quickly for both teams you know sometimes it, it takes a while to see uh that come through but we actually got a couple of questions about it this week so we want to get to those right now uh we'll start with Devin Bearwolf. he's asking I looked up how Drew Rasmussen and JP were doing and was rather surprised to see both of them were killing it in Tampa Bay mm -hmm. Drew is now starting and has an ERA in the low twos JP has pitched 19 innings and hasn't given up a run yet uh, he's asking with as good as these two are playing and the fact Drew is now a starter, will the Brewers rue the day they traded them for a very good but not great shortstop? So I guess, Paul, <laughs> two two really good pitchers for one uh, really good shortstop. I guess, is there a chance the Brewers kind of regret this? I don't think so. And um, as good as, uh, as fun as it is to say, JP, Fire Rise, and as good as <laughs> Drew, Drew Rasmussen, uh, I think, is and will be, uh, the Brewers are no slouches in their own right in developing their own stud pitchers at this point. Right. And the, the Brewers are absolutely slouches at developing their own hitters at this point. So they need to get guys like Willie Adamas um, until they actually start cranking them out themselves. And um, I, I don't think you can really regret this, just even if those guys are good. I mean, so, sometimes trades do work out for both. And I think this is a quintessential example. And um, unless Adamas starts playing much worse, um, I think that this will continue to look very good for them. Also continues a weird brewer trend of acquiring batters with reverse platoon splits. And uh, if I ever get a chance to ask a, one single question of a front office guy there, it will be about that. Because <laughs> Willie hits righties better than lefties, has his whole career, has again this year. And uh, that's weird. It's very strange. Mm -hmm. Well, it's much better when it's a right-handed batter than when it's a left-handed batter. <laughs> right. Looking at true. you, buddy. Very yeah. true. So, yeah, I... Okay, so I'm going to cop to something here. When I first read this question, I immediately bristled at the good but not great shortstop in Willie Adamas. Yeah. And no, that's probably a fair, fair assessment of him. Yep. He he's borderline great though. Like and he might get there in pretty short order here. Yeah, he's only 26, so he's still got development time. Well, and just everything about this year, like the things he's doing well this year, he's like has earned them like he is hitting the hell out of the ball and has earned those things the things that are he's down on this year are like his batting average which we talked about last week yeah his batting average is like what 210 in that neighborhood but it's because he has a batting average on balls in play 100 points below his career norm so you don't expect that to maintain at all you expect that to regress back and so he, he's 
both been really good so far this year and somehow like still underplayed what his I think uh, like what his production really should be based on how he's played. So you have that aspect. But the pitching thing, too, it's particular when you give up guys like you have J.P. Fryerizen, who's a 29 year old relief pitcher. And yes, he he could go on to have, you know, a five, six, seven year extended run here of being pretty good. And I hope he does. The guy was our first player interview that we ever had on this podcast. So he was. That was yep. great. And I, I hope he does go on to have that kind of success. But I don't think it's ever a wise idea to anticipate that, to plan on it, to take that as sort of what you're thinking he's going to do. And then on the other side, Drew Rasmussen said, yes, he's been very good and he has been moved into a starting role this year, though he did do a little bit of starting last year for the Rays as well. But let's remember, this guy is a two-time Tommy John haver and has some pretty sketchy health history going back. So I, I'm the Rays are, are taking advantage of what he's giving right now. But I wouldn't plan on, J, or on, uh, on Drew Rasmussen being a good starter for the next four or five, six years. I, I think that that is probably pretty unlikely just because of what was done to him at Oregon State by his jackass coach. <laughs> and I say his jackass coach not only because of what he did to Drew Rasmussen. You can look that up, read about that on your own, but also because of some other things that that jackass coach did uh, involving players uh, for other things. I'm going to get into it. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're not trying to get sued here. Anyway, um, I mean, also the the fact that the Rays also benefited in that moving Willie Adamas allowed them to move Wander Franco up, and that has seemed to work out okay for them as well. Yeah. So exactly, they should, had a guy also... who was gonna move. Like this was a move they needed to make. They weren't gonna leave Willie Adamas because they have. By the way, they also have a plethora of shortstops coming up behind Wander. Like, they just mm-hmm. shit shortstops down there. <laughs> <laughs> it, worth also noting that even though Adamus's numbers are down, and Brian pointed to his BABIP as one of the many signs of why it's not exactly true, um, his exit velocity is up. It's a, it's a career high this year. His strikeouts are essentially flat, and they've been way down since he left Tampa, which is always a good sign. Um his barrel percentage is at its highest ever. It's his launch angle is, uh, I think, at an almost ideal 17.5% or not percent. Jeez, we're going to do it every episode. Degrees. <laughs> degrees. Um, every degrees. week we run into this. Yep. Uh, so basically, he he is murdering the ball and putting it in play, elevating it, and not striking out as much and still hitting like 200 for his troubles. Um, I think if baseball, you know, deigns to fix the ball or the ball just gets better as the weather heats up, he'll his numbers will ascend pretty quickly. Absolutely. All right. Uh, another Willie Adamas trade question here comes from our friend Jay Google. Uh, good old comparison here. Looking back, what's the better trade so far? Adamas <laughs> for JP and Rasmussen or Grisham, Davies, and Lauer for Urias? Or for or Lauer and Urias? Oof, easy for me to say. Uh, so which one's looking better now, Paul? The Adamas trade or the Lauer and Urias trade? <laughs> Uh, it's probably the Lauer and Urias trade at this point, um, by a healthy amount. (laughs) Grisham's had a really bad start to this year. They're talking about setting him down. And even if, even if that's a little bit fake, uh, this is a weird offensive season. Uh, Lauer and and Urias have been just very, very good. Um, you got the two best players in that trade. Uh, even giving Grisham kind of a pass on this year. 
Um, Urias, I think, has played his way to essentially his equal, if not slightly superior, given his better defensive uh, value because of position. And uh, Lauer looks great. So, yes, that one's easy call. And, and Willie Thomas also awesome, but uh, they I think they gave up, you know, real value there. And the Rays are great at turning that kind of thing into real value. Not that Grisham's not not that Grisham's not real value, but um, he is not as it, the ceilings. I don't think as high as as certainly Lauer at this point, um, and maybe not Urias either. This is just a Sophie's Choice question. I refuse to participate, so I want <laughs> I want both of them. Uh, I'm not going to choose between my children here. So this is I want I want both of these trades. I will say Ken Rosenthal's. Uh, was he the one who tweeted? A, it was Ken trade? Rosenthal. Yeah, yes. he, he's nope. taken this well in stride and has admit, admitted he's wrong. And I kind of wish Brewers fans would stop giving him hell after every good <laughs> yeah. Eric Lauer start. You know, but I don't think too many people. I I see those. I go look at them and I see them. I don't think too many people are being real jerks about no. it to Ken Rosenthal. And Ken is one of the best baseball reporters out there. We are a pro Ken Rosenthal nope. podcast. Ken, Ken Rosenthal <laughs> knows knows how to wear those with pride. Everybody yeah. makes everybody everybody who predicts makes mistakes. And when you get them wrong, you just gotta they learn learn from your mistakes, move on, and and understand that there will be more. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And this is the kind of trade, too, I was kind of talking about when I said sometimes it takes time for a trade to kind of benefit both sides. Yep. And and maybe for one side to come out clearly ahead, because, as you mentioned, Grisham uh, kind of struggling this year. Zach Davies did get the Mew Darvish and then apparently ghosted his wife until they Zach get Davies also maybe not the best person to have. Yeah, at this point. <laughs> I was explaining that situation to my wife when we were leaving uh, the park the other night. I don't know how it came up, but it came up, and she's like, he he really did that? Like, well, yep. that's what she's saying he did. So. What, oh, yeah, I guess allegedly. That yeah. Is, yeah. But, yeah, that's uh, that's not great. Not no, great luck. that's bad luck. Bad luck. Yeah. Not yeah, great. He is kind of a coward with how he pitches. I mean, he nibbles and gets help from his catcher, so <laughs> checks out for real life. Well, and the way I described him to Amy was the remember that guy that we had who pitched for us who looked like a bat boy. Yep. <laughs> yes. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we got lots of other questions to get to, so we should mm-hmm. probably just move on from this point. <laughs> um, Adam Post asking, uh, strictly hypothetically speaking, and hopefully not jinxing anything. <laughs> Uh, not how this podcast goes, Adam. Sorry. Nope. But uh, if Hater goes all season without giving up any runs or blowing any saves, <laughs> would he win the Cy Young? I love this question. It's the a bar great for, question. Yeah. The bar for relievers to win the Cy Young now seems really high, and it feels like anything short of him being essentially perfect wouldn't be enough. <laughs> um, uh, all your thoughts. <laughs> so if he so if he pulled that off, it would mean he pitched approximately 52 innings over the course of the season of runless baseball um i i i think that gets it done um i I, it would no like i think if you give up no runs for a season with some minimum sample size that that and you know haters got um you know some hype to to go with that too he's not some Mm -hmm. schmo um pitching the sixth every time i I think he probably wins it um i think there would be some pushback obviously from um, from nerds, who said, you know, who, who would say <laughs> correctly that he doesn't have the innings to to make that happen, and that saves are dumb and all that good stuff, and starting pitchers are worth more. But uh, if 
that, I mean, it would just be incredible. It, it would be so incredible. I think that I've always wondered, like in football, like for a running back to legitimately win the MVP award, what would they have to do? And I think the answer is like average, like eight yards a carry and rush yeah. for like 3,000 <laughs> yards. Right. And I kind of think that would be the equivalent of you, you pitched uh, a, a real closers uh, level of baseball and you, you, you were absolutely perfect. I think that's the, the equivalent. So, yeah, he wins it if that happens. I, I do think he does. So do you guys know when the last time this happened was? It's happened before? No, the last time a reliever uh, won the side. One side board. Um, yeah, who's the last reliever who did it? I'm pretty sure it was Gagne, wasn't it? Gagne in 2003 with the Dodgers. And he did actually allow runs that year. Yeah. He allowed uh, very few, 1.20 ERA. But I think he I started bel- that record scoreless run towards the end of that season, didn't he? Yeah, I and I believe he didn't situation. allow a... Uh, a blown save. I'm gonna check and see. well, no, he did he have three losses, so okay. maybe he did. He did allow a blown save. It's gonna be really hard for this to happen for all <laughs> kinds of reasons. But I will, if you want to, like have hope that this could happen. Here's the scenario to it: is that nobody on the starter side is exceptional. Nobody on the starter side stands out as being a a true workhorse. We've seen you know guys getting Cy Young awards like Corbin Burns last year with fewer and fewer innings. Yeah, Blake Snell did it a, a year or two before that with uh, not a lot of innings. You know, it used to be like you had to at least have like two hundred innings, and before that, you know, like two fifty and three hundred and like those sorts of things. That has changed, and it is the 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 number is dropping on that. Yep. And I think that Hader could, because of like the name value that he has and because of the fact that he, he would have to basically be perfect. I think you if mm-hmm. if he's perfect, I think he can do this as long as nobody else is has a really exceptional year as a starter in the National yeah. League. I think th- those two conditions have to be met and then it could potentially happen. But nobody should anticipate this happening. This is extraordinarily unlikely. <laughs> right. We should we should definitely pay close attention to it until it doesn't until he gives up a run though. <laughs> he's been legitimately great this year yeah. too, and and like in this scenario, you know, remember too, he'd have like what 120, 130 strikeouts probably in like fifty <laughs> some odd innings. Like that would be impressive. Uh, but yeah, definitely a different era than when Eric Gagne was out there winning a Cy Young, which. If you guys want to feel old, that was almost 20 years ago now. Yep. That was insane to think so about. But yeah. He's only on pace for um 80 84 strikeouts right now. Okay. Well, yeah, that wouldn't get it done. One of the reasons he's <laughs> been uh, so one of the hidden reasons he's been so unhittable is because he actually hasn't been pushed very hard. He's actually had pretty good spacing and when he has gone back to backs, um, they've tended to be uh, shorter stints, you know, and he's come in for some one out saves this year, uh just the other day. Um, so he really he is not running to fatigue at all, and when he's not fatigued, he's pretty unhittable. But at some point, what'll probably cost him is they'll need uh, they'll run into like four consecutive save situations or something like that, and then it'll happen. But if it doesn't, it'll be amazing. Well, I don't think Craig will use him more than maybe three days in a row. Yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah. like it, they shied away from that last year. I don't know how many days he even pitched three times in a row last year. So seems unlikely, but 
and uh, hopefully also that everything's going well with his wife. I heard there was a the reason he did not pitch on Wednesday was because his wife had some pregnancy complications and Ooh, hopefully mm-hmm. that's going well. And it doesn't sound like it. it it's a huge, massive issue, but it's. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely difficult. a scary situation. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're we're probably going to see some of those theories tested in the next couple of weeks here because the Brewers are going to kind of be forced to with with trying to keep guys fresh and, and I I feel like, you know, it's bound to happen where eventually he'll have to pitch two or three days in a row <laughs> or Devin Williams will have to take the ninth one day or you get a random Boxberger save or something yeah. like that, right? So well, right. and also, it is good that they have been so cautious about not calling guys up and sending guys down. They haven't really been doing the carousel because they're going to need to run the carousel here. And there's no shame in it in, at this point for this run of games where you're mm-hmm. where they're scheduling you like this in this completely assholish way. MLB, yeah. like if you're going to do that, then, yeah, this is what you get. Like you're going to have uh, the Brewers are going to have to run a carousel of of relievers between Nashville and, and Milwaukee. Well, between Nashville and wherever the Brewers happen to be that night. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Next question. We kind of foreshadowed this one a bit comes from Jeffrey Carroll asking after ha- watching how dominant Ashby looked on Friday night, it's easy to see the potential he has when he has his command of the pitches. It also made me think of possibly the future of the closers rule. If or when hater isn't around. Seeing Ashby thrown like that only gives me more hope for the future of the pitching lab and the arms it continually puts out. Okay, so I guess not a question there, but maybe more of a statement. (laughs) Uh, But I think let's just take the opportunity then to talk about Ashby. So, like, obviously he's going to be starting now with the injury to Freddie Peralta, at least for the near future. But, Paul, do you think maybe the the hater replacement is maybe more his future role with the team? Uh, I don't think so, only because he's been pretty successful um, in his sort of pre-stretched out role here already in his multiple innings of work. Um, mm-hmm. And you don't turn a guy into a closer unless you have to. Like if a guy's a relief pitcher, generally speaking, if a guy can start, you want him to start, and that's how you get the most value out of him. And I, I think Ashby can probably handle it. I mean, one of the reasons Hader has this role is because they've never thought that he can sustain the workload of a starter more than anything um he, he's always been the huge um injury risk and he, hater getting the most out of haters really been about managing workload and closer is kind of the perfect role for that um ashby's been very good in extended innings and i think has a starter's repertoire to go with it um i, I mean to the extent he's different than small i think it's his stuff plays better as a reliever than smalls does but I think it plays as good as the starters as well. So um, when I see the Brewers um, finding new relievers, there's usually something wrong with them where they don't get stretched out. It, they're a two-pitch pitcher. Um, they are, fra- you know, th- their frame is a little slight. They're a little short. Um, I mean, uh, pushing Freddie into the starters role, maybe in retrospect, um, something they may may maybe not regretting, but you know, he's the kind of guy who sometimes ends up being a reliever because he is small of frame and you do want to keep him healthy. Um, he's not any of those things. Um, I, he, I think he can carry his starters workload just fine. And uh, I would be very surprised if he winds up in the bullpen long-term, even if he comes back to it at some point later in the season. If they do decide that Aaron Ashby does not have the command to be a starting pitcher and that the best way to use his, his talents is out of the bullpen. 
hopefully, at least for a while, it would be in Josh Hader's previous role, not his current role, yeah. as a multi-inning bridge guy using you a few days a week um, to to get to that point. I think that that would be a much better use for his particular set of skills if, again, like I said, he can't start, which I don't think we're that question couldn't possibly be answered even this season. That's going to have to wait for quite a while for us to to get a, a firm answer to that question. So I would say that if it does end up being the case that he he doesn't end up having the command to start, I would rather have him be used in the previous hater role. So the mid-inning guy. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, still a weapon either way there, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, and luckily the... Brewers still have Josh Hader, at least for this year. So <laughs> we can uh, kind of put that on the shelf for now. Well, and they also have Devin Williams that could potentially give them like a another excuse not to use Ashby in the ninth inning, which yep. is kind of yep. what you need to have. You need to have a guy who's closing like the Brewers had with Corey Knable, where they could say, OK, you're not going to close because we have this guy and he's really, really good and he's been doing it. So you have to go before that. Then once they moved him into the closers role, they were kind of stuck and they said, "Okay, well, we have to let him get saves now because that's the way for him to get paid. And to not do that would be a dick move. (laughs) Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Next question comes from Mark Podscarby asking, uh, (laughs) at least as of Saturday, I think when he sent this in the NL, Rowdy, Renfro and Adamas are all one home run back of the lead. Rowdy's four RBI back of the lead. Wong has three stolen bases back of the lead. Haters one save back and Burns leads the NL in strikeouts. Which of these seem likely to fall off and which seems like a spot a Brewers player could finish with the top spot? Uh, I guess most likely maybe Burns strikeouts, but Ryan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, most likely is Burns strikeouts. I think that the guy would have the least... Eh. I could see both Rowdy and Renfro just keeping up a, a huge home run pace this year because you can do that in Milwaukee. Like the park sets up for it and they they seem to kind of be grooved swing wise for it. I guess it'd be Willie would be the one I'm not, I don't expect Willie to be putting up like, you know, shooting for 40 home runs in a season. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I think yeah. he's a better all around hitter than those guys and probably, We'll put up better all-around numbers, but not the huge, massive power numbers. Yep. I do have to say that um, I am a little surprised that Hayter is not out in front in saves just because of the sheer number of close games that the Brewers tend to play and because they've been very good. That should be a recipe for um, a ton of Hayter saves. And I think that by the time the season's over, there's a decent chance he does end up leading the league in saves. But... Keeping the keeping the art the workload down maybe cost them that. I mean, Burns, I think, is the obvious answer. I think Renfro probably tails off a little bit. He's a good but not great power hitter, um, stadium notwithstanding. But Rowdy, I think, has the raw power to keep this up. So I'd go with him and uh, agree on Willie, just not, uh, he, he, again, a good but also currently injured and not great power hitter. So um, who knows on Colton Wong? I mean, who, I don't know how to predict who's going to lead the league in stolen bases anymore. I usually <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, in the AL, some Royal is usually the answer. <laughs> and, um, in the NL, I feel like it's just some speedy, not great guy for some crap team filling a roster spot is usually the answer. But, um, oh, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, Colton Wong's pretty good season has snuck up on a lot of us, though. I guess yep, yep. still yeah. people will point to the 233 batting average, so below average average. 
um, in, in terms of that. The on-base percentage is right around the league average. So really not a guy, again, that you'd really necessarily want leading off for your team. But he's, he's definitely been yep. kind of sneaky good this year as opposed to uh, like what he was doing last year where everybody kind of recognized it. Ew, now I'm rooting for him. Because Harrison Bader leads the National League in stolen bases. Yeah, it's going to be Bader or O'Neill or something. the Cardinals have two stupid fast guys who who probably <laughs> uh, t- Tommy Tommy Edmond is uh, right up there with him. So yeah, yeah, so. it'll be a Cardinal. Don't worry. Yes. However, oh. the spirit of, in the American Le- spirit of the American League, Julio Rodriguez of the Seattle Mariners leads all of baseball, and that that seems about right. Nice. Yeah, that dude is absolutely a phenom, and yep. I. I've been able to watch him play a little bit. I was tuning into Mariners games because I have Jared Kalinick shares, and that's making me very sad right now. <laughs> and uh, so I would tune in just to watch because the Mariners are fun. And if I didn't have anything else, like after the Brewers were done, I'd flip over and watch the Mariners a little bit. And uh, Julio is just, God, he is a beast in the making. Yeah. Getting jobbed on some uh, strikeout calls to start the year and some bad Babbitt luck and, and all that, too. But definitely a lot of fun to watch, for sure. Okay, our next question comes from Steve Romanesco. And this required some research uh, for, for Mr. Ryan Top here. So Steve's question is, how does getting paid work for players like Keston Hira, who go up and down from the minors a lot? Do they get paid less in AAA than MLB? Does it work different if you're pre or post ARB or just your contract in general? So, Ryan, I guess what were you able to dig up on this? Yeah, so it absolutely does matter. Uh, you it, there's a very large difference in what he's getting paid when he's in the minors versus when he's in the majors. Um, when a guy has a guaranteed contract, that's when it doesn't matter. So, if a guy is in arbitration but still has options left and you're you're able to bounce him up and down. Then in that case, you're looking at uh, you're looking at uh, guys being locked in and not have to deal with that. But he is not in arbitration, so he was still making something around the major league minimum, which was 700k if he was up all the time. Now, when he goes down, there are some different tiers. We should mention here: AAA players average about fifteen thousand dollars a year. Now, that's AAA players. I should make clear here who are not on the 40 man roster, which many AAA players are on the 40 man roster, but your AAA players who aren't on the 40 man roster make a pittance. You know, that's, it's a very small amount. Okay. But if you go and look at guys who are on the 40 man roster, there are some rules in place that say like how much those guys have to make. And if you're in your first year on the 40 man roster, uh, you make a minimum, and this might be pre this last CBA. I, I couldn't find up to date stuff that I was looking at some stuff from last year. Uh, it looks like about 45,000 a year. But if you're in your second year and beyond, so if you're in your second major league contract and beyond, then it's a minimum of 90K. So presumably he's making, when he's in AAA, a prorated version of, or a prorated amount on that $90,000 a year. Okay. So he would be making a prorated amount of that versus a prorated amount of the 700,000 that he makes at the major league level. So it's, you know, it's like eight times the amount, close to eight mm-hmm. times the the difference that he makes per game playing in AAA versus playing in the major leagues. Um, and that's the, the best I can tell. This is actually an area that I, I was surprised I had not done more or heard more about this particular situation 
Um, Cause this really doesn't come up players that are up and down players, like what yep. they actually make. You don't hear about that part of it. You hear about how awful it is for their life and how you know, just difficult it is in general, but you don't hear about the, the pay disparities. And yes, like when Kristen here is down, he's, if he were down the entire year, he would be making like $90,000, which that's, that's not a pittance. That's not, you know, minor leaguers getting completely screwed in terms of what they make. But obviously it's a, it's a massive difference from what he makes when he's at the major league level. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's easy to see why maybe some guys on the roster fringe, like say JC Mejia, may be taking something to help them get to the major league roster as opposed to making that that triple A salary, right? I mean that that all kind of goes into it. And yeah, don't like to see it, but uh there there's definitely a financial advantage to making that last roster spot, right? So um kind of understandable in that sense. All right, uh, next portion of the podcast, let's talk some trades. Uh, oh, it's, it's Memorial Day weekend almost, and, and uh, the, the trade rumors will start coming up soon. Uh, whether or not you believe someone like Juan Soto will actually be traded. Uh, but uh, let's start with Bill Robb's question. He's asking, a trade for Brian Reynolds would solve many, many problems, I would certainly say. So what would it cost to get him? which of you would pull the trigger so brian reynolds awesome but paul do you think the, the brewers could pry him away from the pirates uh i don't know in division trades always a little tricky and um uh, it it's just hard for me to imagine it happening which is one of the reasons it's hard to comment on it um but he's young and very good so here's the thing it would cost a lot it would cost i think um Let's call them real prospects, um, and um, probably good, good current or close to current pitching slash pitching depth. Um, so it would uh, you're not getting them cheap, especially in division. Um, and uh, Ryan could probably tell you what he's worth more. Um, I, but like I don't know if I pull the trigger there. I don't like him as much as I don't some other people. He's awesome. He's twenty seven. He's kind of old. Um, uh, I like the team is currently constituted, uh, um, and I want to see a little more holes develop at this point because the Brewers' offense has been has been really good over the past couple weeks, and um, I don't really want to give up depth right now unless it's a super awesome player that I trust a lot. I guess so. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, he doesn't blow me out of the water, and I think that you have to give up too much because he's still youngish. So I, I don't do a deal for him. Yeah, I don't think the Pirates do the deal for him. I think that I also is... don't think I also don't think that. Yeah, yeah. agreed. More so than anything, they're not going to do that. They didn't want to trade Garrett Cole in the division because they, I think, sensed that he was potentially going to break out with somebody else, and then that was going to make them look foolish, which it did. And I think mm -hmm. that was a big contributing factor to that regime collapsing the Neil Huntington regime going down in flames at the end there. And I just can't see them deciding to deal him in the division. Yeah. Yeah. Like that just doesn't seem like a thing they would do. Even if the Brewers came up with the best offer, even if the Brewers came up with the, the best offer by a substantial margin, I still think the pirates ownership would be like, they already want to tar and feather our asses. We're not trading another <laughs> young player to 
somebody else in the division. And yes, it may it may come out that they need to do that, though. There's also so Brian Reynolds has three years of control after this one. He, this, yeah. he was yep. a uh, super two this year. So he actually has three years of arbitration remaining after this. And I suspect actually that what's going to happen if they let this play out from public relations standpoint, if they let this play out, Brian Reynolds will start to show cracks and aging by the time he's nearing the end of of his control years anyway. And so they won't have to be forced to make a terrible choice on this. And actually, the Pirates should be a competitive team within a couple say, years. So yeah, there's a chance he's on the next competitive Pirates team, right? Yeah. So there's really no incentive to trade him right now. Yeah, I think that that's probably the, the most salient point here is I don't think they're going to trade him at all because I think they want to use him as a guy that they're sort of building around. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them now that they've got Key Brian Hayes, and maybe if they start making positive momentum, I could see them actually extending him. But that would all mm-hmm. just sort of depend on what he was his agent, not Boris. Okay, it's CAA, so it's, <laughs> it's doable. <laughs> I, I also uh, I feel like it's risky to trade for any sort of struggling offensive player this season because the information on all of them is screwed up. And Brian Reynolds sure. isn't having a good offensive season this year. He is down across the board like a lot of guys are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, he was a six-war player last year. The defense is part of it, but he, he hit really well. And he's hitting like crap this year. I mean, he's better than Lorenzo Cain is because everybody in the league is better than Lorenzo Cain is. <laughs> yep. um, but like, if I he mean, is having... 106 he, OPS plus? He's, yes, he's above average, I know. But just raw stats-wise, it's not very good. And uh, aside from all that, um, it's just hard to tell an actual real slump from a baseball induced slump at this point. So, um, you know, it, it adds a little risk, not a ton. I think he's a good player. I think he'll be fine. And I think if you put him in Miller park, he'd be extra fine. But, uh, uh it, it is just this little extra dash of, of misinformation that you got to deal with when you're going after, after offensive base. And I think the birds would have to bowl them over to have a chance to, to, to make the individual thing happen. They would have to have a stupid high offer that wouldn't, uh, probably be worth it in the long run. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. They'll trade him to the Yankees because that's the only team the Pirates trade with, apparently. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, would definitely be nice to have him in center field, but like I said, I think there's there's a chance that maybe they try to mold him into like their own little version of Freddie Freeman, right? Where yep. he was he was the guy there through the doldrums and was there when they finally made a run with the encore. So... Can I, I can think I, there's a chance. Can I mention a fun pirate fact real quick? Oh, more, more of a Paul fact. Uh, I went went to the Cubs-Pirates game earlier this week just because it was going on. And uh, <laughs> while I was there, I got to witness the first triple in the in the career of Daniel Volkovac. Yes. Oh, you there were there you for that. Nice. I was there for that. And it was a beautiful moment. So, And, and I, I like realized it in real time. Like, oh, my goodness. There's no way that guy's hit a triple before. This is good. This is the story. <laughs> Man, you, you've been following Big Dan his his entire career. Yep. So I, I'm proud that you were able to witness that historic milestone as well. So there you go. That's great. I might get to see Ethan Small's first career start on Saturday. I don't know. We'll we'll see how that plays out as well. <laughs> All right. Uh one last Patreon question again in in the trade realm, I guess. It comes from Sean McElmeal, who's asking, maybe this is a dr- pipe dream but I would love to see the Brewers go out and get both a Josh Bell and maybe an Andrew Benatendi. 
or perhaps as someone else suggested, uh, Brian Reynolds. What's your realistic, <laughs> although maybe unlikely, trades deadline uh, scenario? He feels like the offense is one to two bets away from being very scary. So I was kind of thinking that this weekend watching the Nationals lineup is like, okay, how many of these guys could the Brewers conceivably get? I guess Josh Bell, maybe if you want some more thump at DH or something. But uh, Paul, let's start with you. Any uh, obvious trade deadline targets for you right now? No, because I I just feel like the, it's very hard to predict what the Brewers are going to do on any given trade deadline. And most of the time, if you do want to predict them correctly, it's find a relief pitcher like yep. in his final year with a couple of years of control left or like something like that. And and, and the, like nothing ever jumps. It's always just some guy. It, like it like Daniel a crappy Lowe's, starter who'd be yeah. a bombs out like reliever right yeah yeah exactly so i don't think they'll probably go out and get like a center fielder that you've heard of because it's just not their mo maybe there's some old guy or a platoon guy out there but i i I, i'm always wrong when i try and do this and i don't i i just don't know who's even available that would be any good or an upgrade like they need to do something at center field i'm with that but they don't need to get a star. They just need to get competence there. And there's a lot of guys who can give you that. And maybe it's just Tyrone Taylor living with his defense, which not my preferred strategy, but mm, it's all right. It's not terrible, I guess. But I, I, I like it'll be my answer is it will be a um, a middling relief pitcher or two of them because that's all they do. Yeah, well, and Andrew Benatendi isn't a center fielder, so nope. Going that to is that, also a good point. Yeah, and like Josh Bell, yes, the, the, okay, the DH thing. Yeah, he could do that. You could, but you have kind of a backlog of guys right now that I don't want to necessarily take plate appearances away from anybody that's currently getting plate appearances in the DH role, which would be, you know, mostly McCutcheon, but also Rowdy and uh, Hira, like all those guys. I. I, I kind of don't think that they have a need there. They there is a pressing need in center fielder in center yes. field, but Benatendi ain't that guy. Like he can take a glove and play center field, but you don't want him to be your center fielder. And I don't know who he would bump off the roster to even do that. I I like the bat. I think that would be perfectly fine. I, he's definitely putting up a big batting average, which you don't see. Three seventeen these days is something that, like <laughs> boggles your mind. Yeah, it's it's not something you see very much. That's Tony Gwynn out there, man. That's yeah, it truly is. Who's who's hitting three twenty this year? Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I I don't see the fit there. I guess for guys that like a realistic trade possibility. I don't I don't even know in center field I I don't know who you can who you can get it's it's going to be something off the off the radar right yeah I scrolled through center fielders for a little bit before I got sick of it and had to go find bunnies for children and (laughs) um there's not a lot of like good candidates to to move like there's a lot of young center fielders still under control um and there's a lot of just garbage like if you want to like scrape the teams that are out of contention and go get the A's center fielder for instance uh, he's terrible he's young and terrible and not somebody worth giving up assets for you probably have a triple A guy who's as good as he is uh, just a no name and there's a lot of that like there's not a lot of good uh, available uh, there's probably a bench guy out there somewhere but uh, it's a tough position to I think acquire upgrades at Um, you're either going to pay a ton for a star which they're not going to do uh, or you're going to just have some crap who's good at defense and can't hit. 
which, um, you know, we've had that before and it's not really what they need. So um, it's a tricky one to replace. I think they're going to have to either stretch for a corner who can maybe step over there once in a while. Maybe you build a decent platoon with Taylor in center in some capacity. And then maybe you have another, you bring on some guy later on who can cover the defensive aspect of it when they get um, ahead late in games. But it'll look more like that, I think, than going out and getting somebody like Reynolds. Here's a name just to throw it out there and to say, okay, this is a potential possibility. All right. Uh, Adelise Garcia in Texas. It had a very big, huge uh, first impression last year in the first half and then really fell off. He's 29 years old, and so not like a young player at all. And there's still some control left here, and I don't know what Texas would necessarily demand for him. And I'm also not sure. I'm trying to see like real quick here what the, the defensive numbers are. Yeah, because his bat's real sketchy. The bat is sketchy, but it's definitely an upgrade over what they're getting from Lorenzo Kane. Okay, that's a good point. Like, <laughs> and it, that is a very low bar to set. It but is you know, the other problem with Texas is they're not that far out of it. They, I know, I, I know, I know, I know. They're terrible. They're awful. They suck. But um, <laughs> you know, it, it's a matter of card, man. It's a matter yeah. of how long before they start sucking. <laughs> that third wild card really messes up this kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. I think we've talked about this before, too, right? Where the Brewers are, are actually so solid at just about every position where upgrading kind of becomes more difficult, right? Like, like well, Paul, you said, you, you yeah, got to like overpay for a star. Except at center field, because that's... I, I mean, yeah, but like... <laughs> well, okay, like that's so... That's clearly the spot, but yeah. Garcia is a guy who is... Well, last year was worth... Wow, uh, fifteen on on Fangraphs anyway. Fifteen runs defensively, so that would be like if, he, if he's a legit <laughs> defensive. But this year he's like a negative one run. But you can't really take that to heart. I don't know. I think he's probably yeah. a pretty decent center fielder. Is the overall point? Cool, cool. Yeah, I mean maybe that it, it's going to be somebody totally under the radar or something. And it's going to be a total surprise because that's the way Stearns and Matt Arnold roll, right? Like that they don't leak things and, and it's not rumored ahead of time. So if it happens, awesome. But uh, maybe, yeah, we'll, we'll get that guy and, and some crappy reliever from Texas that'll end up <laughs> allowing three runs in the second half. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're going to be looking forward to a lot of these over the next month or, or so. But I it's also a weird trade season, right? Because the trade deadline's further back than we normally expected. It's like in the first couple of days of August this year. And like we said, that that third wild card really maybe throws a wrench into things too because teams may be less likely to sell pieces off. I don't know. But it, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, reminder, you get question priority when you become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Thanks for all those Patreon questions this week. You also get a shout out when you become a new patron and sign up and, and Ryan, it looks like we do have uh, a new patron this week and we got a question from him. Yep. So thank you, uh, Sean McElmeal, I would say, I think. Yep. Yeah, I think, I think, I think we're good we'll on that ahead. one. Pretty I'm yeah. confident. <laughs> As always, you, you get the shout out. You don't get a uh, correct pronunciation guaranteed, but we'll we'll do our best, uh, especially considering our struggles with pronunciation from time to time. So thanks, Sean, for signing up to become a patron. Uh, even if you're not a patron, you can support us another way. You can go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, 
A reminder, Paul will literally read anything you write in the review if you give us five stars, and we're putting that theory to the test this week. So. Yeah, yeah, we are. We, we have a five-star comment from Barry B. Benson Jr., and uh, thank you for that. Um, however, my full reading of it will appear um, after the closing credits of uh, Fairweather Fan because um, it's uh, it's it's real long. It's gonna it's gonna Excuse take uh, it's, gonna, it's gonna take many minutes to get through. So it'll be there if you want to hear it. You can wait. It's uh, it's not that exciting in my opinion, but who knows? Maybe maybe my reading will be Shakespearean. Or uh, guaranteed, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I anticipate like character voices and mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh, I think we definitely tested the character limit of an Apple Podcast review. With well, apparently, but uh, not well enough because <laughs> <laughs> I think this might be it. This this might be it. All right. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and while you're there at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us, hit that subscribe button while you're there. Uh, you'll get that push alert every time Ryan posts this episode uh, every week. And uh, please tell your friends about us too. get them to subscribe to us. And we can kind of help uh, branch out to more Brewers fans and get more questions and more conversation like this week. So. Uh, thanks for listening this week, everyone. We will wait with bated breath on the status of Freddie Peralta. Hopefully not the uh, horrible news we're all kind of bracing ourselves for. But, you know, we're Brewers fans. We're used to bracing for horrible things. So this is nothing new. Uh, <laughs> we should mention uh, Memorial Day is is this upcoming weekend. I know we've all got a lot of things going on. So uh, we won't be doing our Sunday night records uh next week we'll, we'll probably do this what monday so uh, mm-hmm. about a day later for mm-hmm. for the holiday but uh hope you all have a, a great week and a great memorial day weekend while you're at it uh, we will see you next time here on milwaukee's day All right, so Barry B. Benson here has decided to leave the entire B-movie script, that being the Jerry Seinfeld vehicle, uh, as the comment. And I think he just cut and pasted as much as he could. (laughs) And uh, to make matters... So I was just... I was going to do a really bad Seinfeld impression because that's the only kind that I can do. But uh, this is the opening, which is kind of a melange of back and forth between many, many different B-characters setting things up. So can't really do that because it's like having a uh, have you ever seen um the sequel to to get shorty i forget what it's called um it's got it's got the rock and it's got dwayne johnson in it and he wants to be an actor and uh, he's supposed to do a monologue but he does a dialogue instead and it's from bring it on um it just sounds silly if you're talking to yourself um without at least really really good editing as a professional voice actor uh and this is not his comment i just i'm setting it up because it's going to be a really... Sol- okay, let's get this started. So, here we go. Barry B. Benson has left the entire B-movie script as a comment with five stars. Thanks for that. Here we go. According to all known laws of aviation, there is no way a bee should be able to fly. Its wings are too small to get its fat little body off the ground. The bee, of course 
flies any anyway because bees don't care what humans think is impossible. Ah, yellow, black, yellow, black, yellow, black, yellow, black. Oh, black and yellow. Let's shake it up a little. Barry, breakfast is ready. Coming. Hang on a second. Hello? Barry, Adam, can you believe this is happening? I can't. I'll pick you up. Look at Sharp. Use the stairs. Uh, your father paid good money for those. Sorry, I'm excited. Here's our graduate. We're very proud of you, son. A perfect report card. All Bs. Now, really quick, sorry. Breaking in um, Paul's notes. That is, Jerry Seinfeld should not have allowed that joke. That is a hack joke. Um, and I, I've never seen B-movie. I, I, my understanding is it's not great. Uh, it's also not, it's like, it's an animated movie, but it's not really a kid's movie, but grown-ups didn't see it because it's animated. And I, I know it's not a great movie. That is a bad joke to start off, even for any kind of movie. Uh, anyway, back to this. Um, very proud, Ma. I got a thing going here. You got lint on your fuzz. Ah, that's, oh, ow. That's me. Wave to us. We'll be in row 118,000. Bye. Barry, I told you, stop flying in the house. Hey, Adam. Hey, Barry. Is that fuzz gel? A little. Special day graduation. Never thought I'd make it. Three days grade school, three days high school. Those were awkward. Three days college. I'm glad I took a day and hitchhiked around the hive. You did come back different. Hi, Barry. Artie, growing a mustache looks good. Hear about Frankie? Yeah. You going to the funeral? No, I'm not going. Everybody knows sting someone, you die. Don't waste it on a squirrel. Such a hothead. I guess you could have just gotten out of the way. I love this incorporating an amusement park into our day. That's why we don't need vacations. Boy, quite a bit of pomp and circumstance. Well, Adam, today we are men. We are B-men. Amen. Hallelujah. Students, faculty, distinguished bees, please welcome Dean Buswell. Uh, welcome, New Hive City graduating class of 915. That concludes our ceremonies and begins your career at Hunnex Industries. If you're still reading for some reason, yeah, indeed, feel free to stop. Although there's a good letter joke at the end if you're interested. Oh, we've quit the B-movie script. Ah, a turn. Uh, I just felt the world needed to hear this meme-tastic movie's fantastic script. Thanks for being my favorite podcast that I listen to during all long runs and marathons. Gives me something to look forward to. All the different hosts have their different niches, and it's always made it such a wonderful listen all the way since day one. Keep on keeping on. Will we pick your date? Will we pick our job today? I heard it's just orientation. Back to the B-movie script now. <laughs> orientation. Heads up. Here we go. Keep your hands and antenna inside the trap at all times. Wonder what it'll be like? A little scary? Welcome to Hunex, a division of Hunesco and part of the Hexagon Group. This is it. Wow. Wow. We know, we know that you, as a bee, have worked your whole life to get to the point where you can work for your whole life. Honey begins when our valiant pollen jocks bring the nectar to the hive. Our top secret formula is automatically color corrected, scent adjusted, and bubble contoured into this soothing sweet syrup with its distinctive golden glow. You know as Honey. That girl is hot. She's my cousin. She is? Really? That got... Oh, this took a turn. Um, yes, we're all cousins. Oh, right. You're wrong. <laughs> Jerry maybe should have axed this whole bit. Um... At Hunnex, we constantly strive to improve every aspect of bee existence. These bees are stress testing a new helmet technology. What do you think he makes? Not enough. Here we have our latest advancement, the Krellman. What does that do? Catches that little strand of honey that hangs after you pour it. Saves us millions. My mosquito associate will help you. Sorry I'm late. He's a lawyer too? I was already a blood-sucking parasite. All I need needed was a briefcase. Have a great afternoon. Barry, I just got this huge tulip order, and I can't get them anywhere. No problem, Vanny. Just leave it to me. You're a lifesaver, Barry. Can I help? Can I help who's next? All right. Scramble jocks, it's time to fly. Thank you, Barry. That bee is living my life. 
Let it go, Kenny. When will this nightmare end? Let it all go. Beautiful day to fly. Sure is. Between you and me, I was dying to get out of the office. You have got to start thinking B, my friend. Thinking B. Me? Hold it. Let's just stop for a second. Hold it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Everyone, can we stop here? I'm not making a major life decision during a production number. All right. Take 10, everybody. Wrap it up, guys. I had virtually no rehearsal for that. All right. And that that is the end of the comment. Thanks, Barry. Paul, need a minute? Or are you just winging it? Whatever. Uh, I'm just winging it. I'll, I'll read cool. quickly. Uh, Friday shirt, <laughs> everything's bad. That's the vibe. Got it. So, yeah. <laughs> That's the vibe. <laughs> if, uh, if we're, well, I am recording actually right now, so I could put that in there. But there's the outro. Actually, this is, this is going, yeah, this is the outro. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll go in three, two, one.